0: We've secretly replaced your host, Alex, with artificial intelligence. Let's see if the audience
1: can tell the difference. In most typical home labber self-hosting environments, we aren't afraid to roll our own firewall using software such as OpenSense. Often these types of firewall softwares act as a catch, all for critical network services like a DHCP server or local DNS resolver, and so on. I've used pfSense since forever. My first foray with the software was in high school combining multiple cable modems together back in the good old days of dox's 2.0 mccloning more recently 5 years ago i switched to the fork opensense
0: <laughs> almost
1: had me until the
0: opensense it even has the the breathing which actually you don't do a lot but humans do that kind of i haven't taken enough of a of air air to to continue the sentence so i've got to breathe Oh, the, the William Shatner approach, you mean? Isn't that something,
1: though, that the AI inserts breaths like that? You know what's absolutely wild about that clip is, obviously, it's computer-generated synthesized audio. It was trained on a 44-second sample of my voice, and it came that close. I can't even believe that. I can't even believe that. 44 seconds. I just. It makes me
0: think, uh, you know, by this time next year, you and I could just have the AI reading this, all of this. This could be AI right now. That'd be nice, actually. You know, sometimes you just don't feel up to a show, like right. We actually a lot of times behind the scenes we joke about having the backup crew do an episode, yeah. Because the joke is there is no backup yeah, crew, yeah, yeah.
1: but maybe there will be. <laughs> maybe there will be. <laughs> it's absolutely bonkers that AI stuff, huh?
0: Yeah, it makes me think if we'll have home assistant setups using our own voice one day. I've been playing just a little bit with the home assistant assist where you use a chat-like natural language to change home assessment settings, I guess you could call it. I don't know. It's weird. But it works. It's in the most recent update, and I've been using it just as a test. And I'll just say, you know, set our kitchen light strip to 10%. And I'll type it out, even though it's slower, and it actually does it. Now, you just connect that to a, a voice input, and then where it reads back, and they sample your own voice.
1: Man, crazy. And yet still, when I ask Siri to set a timer... It tries to navigate me to the nearest scout hut.
0: Yeah, or or it, show, it shows you the web results for your uh, Oh, query. my God.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't
0: even know about that part. I tell you what, it's that is constantly a moving target. And to be honest with you, it's not any better with the echoes or the googs. They're all just hit and miss. So hopefully Home Assistant can solve this with a limited range of things, right? A, a, a set scope of stuff that is your home assistant entities and the things that home assistant can do it could be an achievable project and they do have someone now working full-time on it it's like jarvis in iron man except it's me that would be that'd be pretty sweet it would it would except for not to get morbid but like then you pass away and the family now has like your voice but it's not my voice it's a synthetic reproduction of my voice ooh and then they get it to read books
1: and stuff and it just starts getting real weird real quick alex you know this ai thing is that it was actually quite relaxing in the way in which it spoke like it was mm-hmm. it's like listening to a really good audiobook narrator narrate something that's really boring but make it sound interesting at the same time like i could kind of see a yeah like falling asleep to the sound of your own voice like being being a thing that's weird right like it's a chill it's like peak chill
0: you just consistent, chill, reading something to yourself. I'm not
1: really that chill. <laughs> not this week, anyway. I've been doing nothing but 10 gig networking all the damn time. Well, except for you got that wrong. You're chill now because you're a little worn out because you've been like rebuilding the whole network over there, it looks like. Yep, yep. Rebuilding everything from the ground up. That's what the cool kids like to say, right? What's been going
0: on? I mean, you got new gear. I knew that was coming. Yeah. In. Did that? Did that just start a whole thing
1: with you? It did uh so you know u p s man arrived with a bunch of boxes, he spotted the golf in the garage and was like, These boxes don't look like right. they're from e k t tuning <laughs> uh why, why not, and so we had a you know, five ten minute conversation about cars, and then I looked at the boxes, and they're all from unify, and I'm like, Here we go, here we go,, mm-hmm. so yeah. There'll be links in the show notes. There's some supporting materials for today's episode class. And uh in there there's a bunch of pictures with network diagrams and a bunch of other stuff. Because it's actually surprisingly complicated uh, when you actually start drawing pictures of things. It can become a little overwhelming pretty quickly if you don't uh if you don't start, you know, taking Notes for yourself, basically. Notes and documenting things properly.
0: You, I would actually encourage folks go to the show notes and and look at the diagram that Alex has created, uh, and appreciate the fact that he seems to have brand and photo correct devices on this. Like you even went and got your OpenSense hardware. You got like the actual control surface for your audio mixer. I am. Very impressed with the attention to detail in this
1: entire network diagram. Yeah, well, it was all started by Poverty Panda. He he did the first draft of this diagram, and then I kind of took it and and ran it from there. Obviously, that's his Discord name. And so, essentially, how I've structured my network is I have a, a downstairs and an upstairs in this house, as a lot of people do. But uh, I've split the t- the two halves of the network essentially in half. So all of the devices downstairs run to where my server is in the basement. And then all of the devices upstairs in the house run to a closet in my bonus room, which is where I have things like my Blue Iris box. Um, You know, a lot of the Ethernet terminations finish in there too, including the all-important RJ45-tipped copper Cat6A cable, which is about 150, 200 feet, something like that.
0: Uh, I'm really confused by something on this diagram, though. Mm Mm-hmm um what's with this t-mobile 5g carrier grade net line
1: you what since when do you have 5g internet Oh, we'll get to that we'll get to that oh yeah because that that was a that was an addition towards the end so (laughs) okay uh, i unbox all these Unify switches first of all so i ordered a couple of switch flex xgs which are really nice devices they support poe power in for a start i'm not using them that way that's really cool but these switches do one 2.5, 5 5 and 10 gig switching with copper. Uh, No need for any of the transceivers or anything like that. So you can just plug pretty much any NIC up to 10 gig into it and it will auto-negotiate the speed. This is particularly handy for me because the CalDigit TS4 that I am speaking to you through right now has a a 2.5 gig Ethernet NIC in it. But my server, I bought a copper 10 gig card to go in it, a PCI card to go in there. And they're both plugged into the Switch Flex XG and can just figure out what's going on. That isn't always the case with 10 gig Ethernet devices. Like if you've got an SFP port, which is like the kind of light-based, fiber-based stuff, a lot of those are kind of 10 gig or 1 gig, and you don't get anything in between. And I feel like 2.5 gig is kind of where things are going for a lot of, you know, normal home gaming type motherboards and stuff like that. Because let's be honest, 10 gig is a bit overkill for most people most of the time. And we'll, we'll, we'll touch more on that as we go. But more upgrades are probably coming because all I've done is move the bottlenecks around now. Hmm. So I bought a pair of Switch Flex XG. So on either end of that 200 foot cable going from the basement to the attic is a Switch Flex XG. So there's two of those. And then next to the Switch Flex XG, there's a pair of USW PoE 24 port switches. These are all layer two managed switches. So VLAN routing and stuff like that has to happen on a different device. In in my case, I'm using OpenSense for that. Uh, I've always wondered and kind of struggled understanding the difference between L2 and L3. How I've kind of grokked it this last few days has been L2 is kind of dumb. Like VLAN routing, it, it just sort of happens based on ports, like physical routing. L3 is kind of software level, you know, it's network gurus in the audience are going to be going, oh God, he's butchering this, but this is how I understand it, right? Um, And so when I want to route between two different VLANs based on IP address rather than a specific port, that has to traverse through OpenSense, which is kind of the VLAN kind of orchestrator in my network. That does mean from a performance perspective, there are some considerations to take into account with the link speed of your OpenSense box or the device that's doing the routing, which is why you might want to actually consider a layer three switch somewhere else on the network and offload that workload from your OpenSense box to a physical switch with hardware based acceleration and all that kind of stuff. For my needs though, you know, home, home network traffic, routing it all through OpenSense between the VLANs as long as I architect the VLANs with a little bit of care, should be fine. Alex,
0: I'm loving this so far. It feels like you're putting in gear that's going to give you years of a platform to build on top of. You know what I mean? Like you can put in stuff that is kind of a couple of years. It's going to run. It's going to be fine. But this is stuff that knowing you don't take this the wrong way,
1: but this might outlast how long you even live in the house. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) yeah it definitely could and actually what's been interesting is i i actually filled up an entire plastic bin like a 17 gallon bin full of all the old switches in my house because what have we got here one two three four five six seven eight (laughs) nine switches throughout the house across my various desks and and all that it's it's a bit honestly it's a bit ridiculous
0: you know what they say another man's junk is another man's treasure do they yeah i suppose they do yeah yeah
1: <laughs> but i'll tell you what what actually really sold me on the whole unify uh world for the switching were these little switch flex minis they are tiny these things they're maybe about the size of a deck of cards maybe a little bit bigger but not much it's a five port gigabit switch this thing supports poe in on one of the ports and then the other four ports obviously can use as as uh normal gigabit ports but it's managed that's the magic of this thing so in my bonus room t-mobile sent me a targeted offer this week to say hey we we're, we're doing a 5g upgrade in your area would you like to try our home internet 15 days for free no you know, obligation required uh 30 a month and i'm like oh go on then i thought i'd try it yeah just so happens my neighbor has had lots of issues with their spectrum line and there was a crew digging up the side of the road <laughs> the last few days as well so actually having a backup right now might not be a terrible idea and this T-Mobile 5G internet thing i'm getting 400 down and about 40 up it's pretty decent jeez what about uh ping times it's still cellular right so it ranges anywhere from 30 to 40 which is about what spectrum gives me that's right all the way to 253-4500 milliseconds seemingly at random which can be Yeah, not so good. So
0: Yeah, that is cellular for you. And Starlink. Don't even get me started. But uh, you know what's funny, Alex? I'm not even kidding. My neighbor was having problems with their Comcast and got the same offer from T-Mobile and
1: just decided to try it out. So as things stand right now, everything is stable. There was a whole week and a half where things were definitely not stable. I actually had uh, several work calls where people said, Alex, can you sort out your connection? Because you keep buffering every two seconds. Two seconds in 10, you're buffering. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. I've just replaced my entire net. It's really embarrassing, you know, when you're in my line of work. (laughs) Can't even make my Wi-Fi work. You're supposed to be the guy that knows about this stuff. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So anyway, this T-Mobile thing, it's coming in in my bonus room, which is at the complete far opposite end of my house from where my OpenSense box is. And anybody that knows anything about networking knows that OpenSense can do multi-WAN failover and load balancing and that kind of thing. And so I thought it'd be pretty cool if Spectrum goes down that automatically OpenSense fails over to the 5G connection and my IoT devices and anything else that needs to get to the internet is pretty much none the wiser apart from, you know, the ping times and what have you. And I'm using VLANs to do that. It's a really interesting use of VLANs that I hadn't even considered until the box arrived and I went... Ooh, I wonder if I could I could do this. Could you explain this? Because that doesn't make any sense to me at all. How are you using VLANs to do internet failover? Pick, picture this in the diagram, right? You've got the, the box in the attic for, for sake of argument, for sake of your brain, right? Because this is an audio show primarily, right? The internet is coming in in the attic in, uh, with uh, 5G and in the basement with Spectrum. Now, I'm using the VLANs to uh, tag a specific port on one of the SwitchFlex minis going into an Ethernet port on the back of the 5G device. So, so far as that um, T-Mobile device is concerned... It's like its own VLAN. None of the other devices on the rest of the entire network exist. It's a virtual network, right? V- virtual local area network, VLAN. So, it is its own DHCP server. It is its own DNS server. It creates its own gateway. It does it all of its own routing, right? So if I was to plug into another port somewhere else on my network that had that VLAN 99 tag on it, all the traffic would get routed through the Unify switches and sent around with TCP IP with that VLAN tag in it, get picked up and routed correctly by the Unify gear. I assume when you plug a, a, a device in by default, though, it doesn't get VLAN 99 by default. Well, no, it, it's, that's where the magic of the SwitchFlex Mini comes in. Is because I can just set unify, the Unify gear in general or having a managed switch in general. I can yeah. just set any port on my entire network to be a VLAN 99 port and just be like, in we go, that's a, that's a T-Mobile port. And when you do that, you move it over to the T-Mobile stuff. Oh, man, that's slick. So all that's doing is talking directly to the T-Mobile router. The failover part is where um, OpenSense, you create a new VLAN within OpenSense, and then it gets an IP address from the T-Mobile box at the other end of the house. (laughs) Yeah. And this is not on a tagged port. This is just on a trunked port. But because OpenSense has the VLAN routing built into it, it can listen for those VLAN 99 tagged packets and decipher what's going on, get itself a DHCP IP address, from the 5g modem at the other end of the house and then it gives me another gateway that i can target with my network that's so slick <laughs> it's pretty cool it's pretty cool there's, there's a whole article on the open sense website about how to do uh, load balancing um, between the two connections i haven't quite got that working yet because i'd love to see my usenet go at like 1.5 gig or something that would just be like that, that would tickle my fancy. <laughs> Jeez, I've done
0: that once in a data center when I was in the data center. And it was, I managed to get my Usenet downloads to go faster than my hard drive could write the data. And that was pretty awesome. But, uh, you know, the other thing I love about this setup, Alex, is they're at your workstation. You know, say you're in this scenario and uh, the, the client says, "Jeez, Alex, your connection kind of sucks. Can you fix that? Well, you could just bring up your network config on your machine right there. Switch over to VLAN ninety
1: nine, and now you're on a new network. You're on the new connection. Problem solved. This is where being in the the ecosystem of Unify starts to become real nice. In the uh, Unify Cloud Controller, the, the software that you have to run, uh, I can actually create a dedicated VLAN ninety nine Wi Fi SSID. So when I connect to a specific SSID, I could suddenly hop to a completely different network and be completely isolated from everything else that's going on.
0: Sure, yeah. That's another slick way to do it. And then you can do it with
1: your mobile devices and whatnot, too. Yep, yep. Super handy for testing. And it means I can use my fancy Wi-Fi from anywhere in the house to route all that traffic through the T-Mobile router at the other end of the house that is great. That's handy
0: for testing even, right? Just testing things out. That's nice to have a separate network you can jump on.
1: I hadn't really thought about, you know, routing internet traffic over VLANs and stuff. I was more worried about putting my cameras and IOT devices and, you know, the leaky devices onto a a black hole network. But actually that's my first primary use case that and separating my management interfaces onto their own VLAN as well. It's, It's just fun to have this stuff to play around with. Lord knows why I didn't do it sooner. Maybe because it was a huge project and took me like two weeks. Maybe that's why I didn't do it sooner. Uh. <laughs> Linode.com
0: slash SSH. That's where you go to get $100 and 60 day credit on a new account. And it's a great way to support this here podcast while you're checking out the best cloud hosting out there. So it's Linode.com slash SSH. Fast, reliable and great support. Try it for your next project. Maybe the next thing you need to deploy in production and you want it to be peppy or reliable or available, or maybe for your own personal thing. Maybe you want to do a blog, a portfolio, maybe a little family gallery, maybe an online Plex or Jellyfin server. Linode makes all of that super crazy easy. I was just looking too, you know, they have tons of really nice, useful, one-click deployment type stacks that you can do. And the one I was looking at today and thinking, gosh, maybe I should actually do this one is Jitsi. You know, like the Zoom alternative, but it's free and open source and actually works really nice. It is just, of course, available online, but wouldn't it be kind of cool to self-host your own? Of course, they also have a NextCloud deployment that they've recently worked with the NextCloud project upstream to make sure it's all nice. GitLab's on here, Apache Airflow Super Insight, which is really cool. It's kind of like a tool to go through your own SQL database and build your own chatbot based on what's in that database. You can find out more when you sign up at Linode and go into their app marketplace, as they call it. Of course, everything's free. And uh, look at Super Insight. That's one of the many options in there. So if you're a performance hound or if you've got an application that just needs a ton of disk throughput or a lot of GPU or CPU, Linode's a great option. But that doesn't mean that they don't have something available for just everyday folks that want something for themselves, for their family, for their friends. They have nanodes that are extremely reasonably priced and they're 30 to 50% cheaper than those hyperscalers out there that have those crazy locked down platforms that you really just feel super restricted with. And Linode's got 11 data centers around the world today, so you can disperse things if you want, get it close to wherever you or your clients might be. And they're bringing on another dozen, as well as a bunch of other infrastructure this year. They're working on a whole bunch of stuff. They've been doing it for a while, and the product has had to survive on its quality and on its merits. And in my opinion, that has built the best-in-class cloud hosting. Go try it out and get 100 bucks for 60 days while you support the show. Go to lino.com slash SSH. That's lino.com slash
1: SSH. So in the gallery link, the Lychee link in the show notes, there is a, a screen capture of three minutes of traffic during a Google Meet call I was having for work this week it was we mentioned it was embarrassingly bad right and so i started trying to deploy all sorts of different tools to try and figure out what was going on uh, i started off just by running pings from my firewall all around the house to devices spread in the left right top left you know bottom all the different switches throughout the house just to try and figure out what on earth was going on because i was losing my mind thinking i've just spent all this time all this money and all this fancy network gear and it it's just not working properly yeah so I thought, right, I need to test things. So I, I have one of these little um, Ethernet cable testers that has the eight lights that blink in a row. And that's and that's how, when I first moved into this house, I, I did the Cat 6A run attic to basement. And, and that's what I used to test that cable with. That tester said the cable was fine. The gigabit 10 gig switches were showing 10 gig links in Unify. That looked fine. I could route traffic over the link at 10 gig. Everything seemed fine, except for the fact I was getting huge packet loss, and it, it was like something was flapping. You know, you just get this feeling, right, of things just aren't working as well as they should be. And so then I went back to an old friend, which you put me onto, God knows how long ago, maybe a decade now, uh, probably yeah. in uh, Linux Action Show <laughs> called Smokeping, and this was actually before Linux was a thing, and I this was one of my first ever containers that I I packaged up for the project with Smokeping, and so I started creating a a new targets file in smoke ping to ping all the different switches in all the different corners of the house and try and figure out what on earth was going on whilst i was doing that i I started to come down with a pretty nasty stomach flu and uh, that took most of my weekend unfortunately but before i did it pretty much one of the last things i did and i've no idea why but thank goodness i did was i took the 10 gig link out at both ends and i just put it into a gigabit switch and everything throughout the entire weekend, whilst I was super unwell, was as stable as it should be. And I'm like, well, there's my issue. There's my issue. It's the link. So I bought a fancy cable tester. It's not even that fancy. A Klein $50 cable tester off of eBay, but off of Amazon, rather than a $8 one off uh, who knows where. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, one of the twisted pairs in my Cat 6A termination was bad. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Talk about like the layer one type typical problem, Alex I know, uh, and so since I bought this cable tester i've been going around and checking all of the other terminations in the house, and it turns out i'm i'm at terminations oh no <laughs> so so many of them have got like a pair that are a little flappy or. <laughs> so i've bought new crimpers i've bought you know i'm gonna do it properly now you think it was the tooling i mean what do you think went wrong there well cat 6a cable is a thick boy Uh so it's 23 awg i think so it's quite thick compared to to uh 5e and i was trying to use cat 6 plugs which are a gauge smaller than 6a i was trying to use a cat 5e crimper i made it work and so i was like oh it's fine look all, all the eight lights show up sounds like that's debatable but all right <laughs> it's been fine on gigabit for the past three and a half years you know oh right 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 because gigabit only truthfully needs two pairs whereas 10 gig needs four pairs at least you know i'm sure it would take more if you gave it but <laughs> so it turned out to be that um once i re-terminated the cable and put the 10 gig stuff back in it's all fine so i wasted nearly a week of my life honestly it was it was driving me crazy chris it was absolutely losing my mind i understand that one i definitely do i definitely do you know i've been there with the wi-fi side of things so. yeah i didn't tell you about this a wi-fi access point died in the midst of all this like i was just having a, a, a comedy of errors she's <laughs> really this Wi Fi access point is seven and a half years old. It was the first Unify piece of gear I bought. It's a Unify AC Pro from like 2014, 2015, something like that. Geez, I, th- I think that's, I have two of those here in the studio. <laughs> Great. <laughs> well, I think what killed it was the fact that the Unify switches maybe deliver power a bit with a bit more punch than you know did the Netgear poe switch i've been using for the last few years you're telling me when you switched out
0: from the Netgear to the unify gear you think it killed the unify
1: ap it fried this <laughs> access point yes sir uh, yes i am that's what you get alex <laughs> uh so i replaced i have two of these in the house um i replaced both of these now with the u6 pros which are the, ah, nice. the updated Good. wi-fi six ones which has a whole bunch of interesting stuff there's a, a video i'll put uh, a link to in the show notes from crosstalk solutions where he talks on YouTube about how Wi-Fi six isn't necessarily about improving throughput. It's all about improving airtime efficiency and fairness and all the beam forming stuff. It's fascinating. Really? It is. The upshot is now that I have two brand new wifi access points. I have like 12 new switches throughout the house and everything is running tickety boo. That's nice. That is really a nice place to be at. I think it's uh Probably time for me to
0: replace my Wi-Fi stuff because, you know, I had to roll back after
1: I had a bad Wi-Fi experience. I even had Drew come and help me. He joined me for a little screen share on Friday afternoon. Oh, that's cool. That's great. He was actually wanting to show me, I think, Netbox, which is a, an alternative to the DHCP situation that I took. It's like an IPAM uh, system that he uses at work. Looks really slick. I haven't quite gotten to investigating it yet. For obvious reasons, I've been a little busy. But uh, thanks to Drew for his help there.
0: Yeah, Editor Drew coming in with the solid advice too. Isn't that great? That's how
1: you know you got a great editor. All right, what else did I do this week? It's been one of those weeks where I've just been checking off projects and also been sick, and uh, I'm exhausted again. How? How can you be sick and get all this stuff done? Doing networking is absolutely brutal because when it doesn't work, nothing works, (laughs) nothing else works. So you have to fix it. You think, I'm just going to take a break and go and watch some South Park on the cat? I can't. No, no. The spousal approval factor is just like dropping like a rock. Exactly. Can't do that. Yeah. If I'm honest, that was a little bit of the motivation behind the 5G. Of course. (laughs) Connection. (laughs) Because now I can screw up the house and she can at least still stream Netflix or whatever, you know, so. Tactically, I totally understand. So, uh, I replaced the CPU in my Blue Iris box, uh, finally. This is an old Celeron G4900, this CPU here. Uh, and this came in the HP 290 Slim that I've been using for my Blue Iris build since, uh, December 2019 when we moved into this house. And, uh, this is a dual core CPU, two threads, two cores, two threads, uh, 3.1 gigahertz. It's, um, It's worked like a champ, honestly. (laughs) It probably was working hard, actually. It's been on life support, I think, for the the longest time. And uh, I bought an i5-9500 to replace it. So quite a big upgrade, six cores, six threads. Yeah. I really like that middle-of-the-road i5, eighth, ninth gen sweet spot. That's what I've got in all my servers in the house, in all my desktops, actually. I've got an 8700K in my desktop, 8500 in my server, 8500 in my backup server. Yeah, my one in England is an i5-8500, you know, so I just really like the 8th gen sweet spot. It's got a good quick sync performance. It's good on energy performance. It's the price, you know, it's $130 for a new CPU. That's totally cool with me. It does seem like it's in that sweet spot right now. But uh, I just wanted to call out the fact those sort of, they're not, not quite one liter, but the HP290 is probably near, I don't know, five to 10 liters. But those small form factor builds, I paid $92 for this thing in 2019. And I've only just what? upgraded the CPU. Yeah. What did you say? $92 <laughs> for an entire CPU case motherboard combo. Wow. Okay. The only upgrades I've done to it was I threw a, a bit extra RAM in there and a, a new SSD uh, and now the CPU. So I, I guess it's probably nearer a $300 system now I've finished, but... Yeah, years later. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I looked at the um, install date of Windows on it and it's April 2021. <laughs> oh yeah blue is windows i knew that but i kind of forget sometimes yeah it it's a it's a it's a dirty secret but there's an always on windows box in my network weird is that the only windows box uh on the daily apart from my gaming rig which honestly doesn't do much other than gather dust now the m1 is a thing <sighs> come on blue iris come on come on guys uh so i'm happy to report that Upgrading from a 2-core to a 6-core CPU makes a huge difference to Blue Iris. Well, there you go. (laughs) There's been quite a few updates come through Blue Iris since I last really played with it. They've done a bunch of updates to their object detection and their AI stuff. Um, Really what kicked this off was the new doorbell I bought a few weeks ago. That extra bit rate into Blue Iris over the Wi-Fi camera that I had was just enough to make it chug enough that I was like, you know, I should upgrade this CPU it's made all the difference and now i've got stuff like live recording going properly and you know i i was it was on live support and i'm, I'm really glad i did the upgrade i know what you
0: mean i've gone through a couple of upgrades where it like the video playback is faster that the whole ui is improved and that is really nice because it is you know if you do it right these give you peace of mind for your home you can check in it you can just see what's going on even when you're not there or you know when you're sitting there in your living room or you're whatever room, you can pull them up and it's peace of mind. It's the ability to check in on things while you're traveling. And when it's fast, it's responsive. It feels a lot better and it makes a, it makes a big difference. I I definitely have gone through that one iteration upgrade from really kind of just barely getting by to quality of life improvement. And it's,
1: it makes a big difference. wouldn't you just love a new Raspberry Pi? I feel like that with the Raspberry Pi 4s right now. Yeah. They just feel like they're, getting a bit old like i want faster stuff
0: oh come on how great would a raspberry pi 5 be
1: that maybe has like a sata port even how great would that be mvme that would do me it doesn't have to be screaming fast it just has to be better than usb3 thank you i remain very impressed with the odroid you know just
0: as kind of a brief kind of aside but the performance, I'm still very happy. It's running Jellyfin, it's running SyncThing, it's running Smokeping, and, you know, just a, a few other things, just a handful of other services, NextCloud. No, Which whatnot. one did
1: you get, the H something? The H3 Plus. That's right.
0: And um, it's been working fantastic for me. I'm really happy with it. I think the performance is still noticeably better than the Pi 4. So for me, the Odroid H3 and the H3 Plus, I guess it
1: is, still the better buys. I think they would make a really fantastic K3s cluster. I might just have to pick up three bare metal nodes and start messing about with metal as a service. I saw a Techno Tim video on that. It looks really super cool. <laughs> Did you see the Pi KVM four has had a, a new Kickstarter? That's unfortunately it's now finished. We're a bit late to the game. I know. I was so tempted. I was. I, I
0: really want to build a Pi KVM for my OBS system in the studio. I Really think this is
1: a good fit. So those that don't know, Pi KVM is a a software that runs on ostensibly a Raspberry Pi, although the KVM daemon that they've written has been ported to a few other single board computers. But the nice thing about the Pi KVM as a target is there's several hardware features they're relying on in the Raspberry Pi, such as the camera interface to capture video and the GPIO pins, obviously, for ATX power control and a bunch of other stuff. And what's really nice about this version 4 is instead of being based around the unobtainium raspberry pi 4 you know credit card sized circuit boards they're now based around the compute module 4s instead and they at least they say they've secured enough
0: cm4 units for production which that makes you feel pretty good about backing it it does i have my own pi 4s i have my own cm4s so i went ahead and ordered a hdmi module that they use for mine and i'm going to try to build my own we'll see how that goes
1: the csi one is the way to go there was actually a video from techno tim just this week actually where he he's found a newer better version of the hdmi matrix from my blog post back in 2021 the idea for me is is not to need four different raspberry Pis. you know one per system throughout the house it would be amazing if i could just have one in the rack that is a network kvm switch and so what this uh Easy coup USB 3 KVM switch HDMI 4 you know product names. What this thing does is it lets you via USB switch the inputs from the various computers that are connected into the HDMI matrix and then send that feed into the Pi KVM, including USB obviously. And a really nice trick from his video was stick a Ventoy USB into the KVM switch and then that way. You can boot any OS you need to on any computer just by switching the input on Pi KVM. I thought that was genius.
0: Yeah, so this is one hundred and forty bucks
1: US greenbacks for something like that. We'll have a link in the notes. It is, so it's a little pricey. Yeah, but worth it. Well, yeah, I mean, if you spec out, just if you want to buy one of the Pi KVM products, I think they're two hundred and sixty dollars each. Well, I- anytime you get into KVMs
0: and network KVMs, like the dongles are a hundred bucks at, at if they're it's only true. doing VGA. And then you have to have a central unit. And the nice thing is, this is no slouch. It'll do 4K resolution. And if you're 1080p, it supports up to 144 hertz, which, again, that's no slouch. Like, that's unusual for this type of hardware. That's nice.
1: Yeah. Well, I think the Pi KVM software itself is capped at 1080 60, which is still plenty for the use <laughs> yeah. case.
0: Yeah, especially <laughs> for remote control, right? right. <laughs>
1: So uh, what's got me really excited about this PyKVM version 4 in, in the Plus version in particular is that they can do uh, HDMI pass-through in that version. So you could literally have this box transparently between the system and the monitor dock. so let's say the you know the computer i'm using right now between my dock say and mm, uh, and the monitor yes so that'd be really nice and then that way i could have you know if i'm actually in the closet or in the basement i can actually just use the keyboard and mouse right in front of me or if i'm up here remotely away from the basement because uh, i have to go outside to get into my basement and that's not always the most pleasant of activities going outside i mean god it could be awful Oof. i try to do it as little as possible so whilst we're on the topic of remote access, I discovered, I think, what is a feature? Maybe a bug in the Azrock IPMI implementation this week? A feature that is useful? is that? What you, I mean, a bug that's useful? Is that what you mean? Like,
0: <laughs> what are you talking about here? Why don't you read the top comment from this blog post that's linked in the show notes? I'm looking at it right now, actually. I'll pull it up here. This is on your blog, too. Uh, and uh, it, says, it looks like it's uh, Badco. He writes, uh, I had this bug. Being on an uh, EC-C22 device, being used as a gateway with PFSense. Every time the gateway was rebooted, it would expose the IPMI web GUI to the internet, on the WAN port. I couldn't figure out how to fix it, so I moved the WAN port to the other Ethernet port. I just applied your fix, so hopefully this fixes it for the future. Thanks, Alex.
1: (laughs) What was happening was... Oh my goodness. Has Rock Rack BMC implementations. They have typically a dedicated IPMI LAN port... And then most often a pair of gigabit uh, ports that you can use to connect your device to the, the LAN. Sure. Yeah, yeah. What was happening was both the IPMI dedicated LAN port and one of the other ports were both getting different IPs from my DHCP server. And so when I switched the, switched the computer on, uh, the BMC boots up and it gets two IP addresses on the LAN. I'm like, well, that's not that's not right. And so I threw the management interface into the VLAN and I'm getting two IP addresses in two different VLANs and I'm like okay this definitely isn't right. Aha. Uh-huh. And so I started spelunking and oh, you know looking into this as a, a problem trying to figure out how to turn off <laughs> yeah turn off the BMC on one of the NICs and I had to issue an IPMI raw command to do it but I, you know this <laughs> this comment that this bad co person put on my blog of basically exposing the IPMI web GUI to the internet on a wan port can you imagine like yikes dude yikes. that's about as bad as it gets as a security hole if you ask me red alert right there and why is that the default there's no way to there's no way to unconfigure it through the web UI that i could find and i think i spent maybe an hour or two looking through the various settings in the web UI trying to configure this and eventually had to resort to a raw IPMI tool command to to get it going Wow. It's a public safety announcement. If you're going to buy an AzRock rack board, um, maybe think again or be aware of this going in. It's, uh, yeah, not too clever.
0: Tailscale.com slash self-hosted. Go there to get a free personal account for up to 20 devices and support the show. It's not a limited time trial. You get up to 20 devices for free on a personal account. Tailscale is a zero-config VPN that you can get up and running on your devices in minutes. It lets you easily manage and access private resources, quickly SSH into your devices on your network, and securely do it from anywhere in the world because it's built on WireGuard, baby. Devices connect directly to each other using WireGuard's noise protocol encryption, building you a mesh flat VPN with the best security in the business. You can quickly and easily create a secure network between your servers, your mobile devices, your Cloud instances, your virtual machines. I do it all. I do it all. Even when you're separated by firewalls or carrier grade, subnet, double NAT, it doesn't matter. Tailscale just works. And it intelligently routes the traffic that's intended for your Tailscale network and not everything. So you can leave it on all the time, unlike traditional VPNs. Tailscale has just announced Tailscale Up, a community-focused conference, the first ever in-person Tailscale community conference on May 31st in San Francisco, they're going to have the open source maintainers, there, uh, hardware hackers, of course, self-hosters. That's specifically on their list of folks they're looking to have there and tail scalers of all types. Those who use it at work or personally. I'm really excited about this. They have more information on their blog and I'll try to put a link in the show notes as well. If you're in the area, it's the Tailscale up community conference, May 31st in San Francisco. I love TailScale so much that I'm the type of person that wants to go to an event about TailScale. That's how great it is. It's been a huge game changer, and it has leveled up my self-hosting to the ultimate level. I don't even use the public internet anymore for any of my private data. I don't even have any inbound ports on my firewall. (laughs) It's all TailScale. Go try it out. Support the show. You're going to love it. TailScale.com slash self-hosted. That's TailScale.com slash self-hosted.
1: Well after my good lady wife joined us on the episode a couple of weeks ago, we've had lots of different people writing in with suggestions about audiobooks. We'll come on to a couple more in the feedback section. Uh but I wanted to provide an update from our Discord today. I was told that the iOS client for audio bookshelf has seen a, a large update after my scathing review. It wasn't scathing. It's a great it's a great app, but there were some issues with the UI that I found, right? And so the scrubble bar has been tweaked and moved significantly from where it was before. I'm happy to report. So, what the issue was before was uh on iOS at least. You have that little white bar at the bottom that you used to swipe left between applications uh, or, or swipe up to go home. Mm-hmm. And when you wanted to scrubble in the chapter, uh it would interfere with that. So if I wanted to to move from two to eight minutes in a chapter, it would take me to my most recently used app, and I'm like, God, no! I was just trying. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah and you know it can you know, finding the right place in a book can take quite a bit of finesse sometimes because these chapters can be 40 50 60 minutes long and that's you know the resolution of my thumb can be 2 or 3 minutes just with a quarter of a millimeter movement you know so you've got to be quite careful with these things yes it's good the new update's good they've moved all of this stuff up above the playback control so now it's you've got your album art and then you've got your scribbling bars which is nice also they've they've got this um percent through the entire book followed by a percent through a specific chapter which is really nice and then you've got your skip forward back and sleep timers and all the rest of it at the bottom which is where they should be a couple of issues i still got with it though is when you pick up the kind of uh, circle playback head thing uh, it doesn't move it creates this kind of overlay on the user interface of like an orange and gray bar and then once you release your thumb then it moves the playhead to where it square you scrubble to it's just not the same as any other app so maybe we could suggest that that would be just updated the other thing is it's still not the most sensitive thing when you're swiping particularly in the first minute or two of a chapter because it tries to pull in the swipe over menu from the left hand side which is a real problem so you end up having to tap in the middle of the chapter to get the playhead out of the the left hand corner and, and then kind of drag it to where you want it. Um, mm-hmm. But overall, it's a great start. You know, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing where this goes. And I'm still using the crap out of Audio Bookshelf. Uh, wife has gone back to Prolog. She she can do what she wants. That's that's totally cool. But uh, I'm using Audio Bookshelf. All of my family in England who are Android people are using Audio Bookshelf through Tailscale. Scale. Uh, it's fantastic.
0: That is, and I'll give a plus one from the audience. We've gotten some feedback over the last couple of weeks that people really love audio bookshelf. We got a lot of recommendations for that. So they've done something really special over there. And I was just glancing through their documentation while you're chatting. It's a pretty straightforward setup. Did you know Alex, the machine that I'm using right in front of me right now, I have one of them brand new shiny Intel Arc GPUs in it? Ooh, which one did you get? I have uh thankfully, listener Nev sent it in. It's it's the A380, and I think they even have an uh, they already have a higher end series out right now. But it's pretty great. I have Linux 6.2 and I have some of the latest Mesa drivers or crap installed. And uh, you just put the you just put the card in and you boot up the system and it just works. You've got full 3D accelerated desktop, everything's smooth and no crazy like GUI to install a weird driver or anything like that. It just all works out of the box. It, it really makes me hopeful for like a year from now. Maybe I have a server with an Intel Arc GPU. And it's doing some accelerated playback for me and stuff like that. I hope Intel sticks with this because so far I'm I'm really impressed.
1: I'm about four or five days into using it, but the system has been rock solid. That is the dream, isn't it? And then that way we're kind of free of using a specific CPU or even being tied to the host itself. Because I've documented many times on this show my adventures with pci pass-through of discrete gpus i mean that's kind of easy these days that's kind of table stakes with linux these days Mm -hmm. but still a pain in the ass is doing things like igpu pass-through or gvtg which is where you slice up the igpu into multiple segments and then give that to a a guest. that it's just not a good time and so my dream for this kind of intel arc stuff is that we can have virtual machines. And so this, this would create uh, media servers that become portable nodes between different Kubernetes nodes in my head across the network. And I could do remote transcoding jobs and all sorts of fun stuff. If this Intel Arc thing sticks around, I'm, I'm very bullish on it. And I really hope it comes to fruition for the long term. But in the meantime, one thing I've been kind of wanting to pick the audience's brain over actually is something uh, i've been looking to create this igpu benchmark for a little while not just the intel arc stuff although that, that'd be pretty cool to add to this moving forward uh, i want to start with just the cpu based ones so the hd630s and all the stuff that's built directly into your cpu as the sync engine effectively that's what i want to benchmark i'd love to get an actual idea of just how much better a fourth gen is than a sixth and an eighth and a tenth gen cpu yes right because yes, being hardware transcoding, of course there are different codecs that are supported by these different chipsets. But what do the what does an HD six hundred and thirty versus a six hundred and fifty mean? You know, I have no idea. I mean, it's it's twenty better, but <laughs> what does it really matter, right? What difference in
0: minutes or whatever? What is it going to actually matter?
1: Yeah, exactly. And so I want to create a small test suite or a benchmarking tool for these GPUs, uh, just aimed exclusively at the purpose of media encoding. Mm. And uh, once we've done that, I say we, I'm hoping the audience will come and join me on the Discord in the Perfect Media Server channel and help figure this out. Once we've done that, I'd like to cr- uh, crowdsource these benchmarks and publish them on perfectmediaserver.com uh, as like a searchable database. I don't know if you caught the MKBHD kind of blind camera test thing he did over Christmas. No. Where he he basically said, right, here's a test. you You take it and... With him, it was a blind camera test, but you know. He does it like every year, right? He does something similar but like This year, he did it way better. He, he built a special website and he did a bunch of other stuff. Okay. It was really cool. I'm not saying we're going to be in quite his league because I just don't have the time or resources to do that. Or the robots. (laughs) Or the robots. Yet, although the beginning of the show might say otherwise. (laughs) So if you'd like to come and help out with this effort, join us in the Discord in the Perfect Media Server room with your benchmarking script ideas. And that will include ideas for how to architect the storage back end of all these results of people submitting their benchmarks to an anonymous database on the internet we don't want to store anybody's information other than literally cpu and their score i don't want any identifying information whatsoever and then we can make some pretty graphs and actually draw some honest conclusions of this data because i figured it was all well and good me having you know one of each type of cpu in the house and i could run these benchmarks but in the real world how how you know similar is my i5 8500 from Fred's in europe you know I'd love to know if they're all the same. and I'd love to be able to run it on the Odroid versus, say, this brand new
0: Thalia workstation right next to me. That's a great point, too. Yeah, absolutely. It could be really interesting to find out. Uh, of course, you can always go to selfhosted.show slash Discord, and then you'll see all the rooms in there. And, of course, it looks like the room to be in is the perfect media server room. That's where you want to go. That could be a great way to contribute a little value back to the show. Because I feel like that would probably be incorporated into a lot of our future coverage as well. So that'd be really handy. Absolutely. yeah. Hey, Alex, do you mind if I plug the uh, brewery meetup that we have for LUP on uh, March 4th at 4 p.m.? It's in the Pacific Northwest. It's just a small thing we're doing to celebrate episode 500 of Linux Unplugged. But we'll have details at meetup.com slash Broadcasting. March 4th
1: at 4 p.m. at the 192 Brewing Company. I am uh, talking to a couple of gentlemen on the back end in the JB crew who are extremely excited about this meetup and looking forward to seeing you very much. I'm sorry I can't be there.
0: Me too, man. One day, one day we'll have like Bib. We'll have like the big Leo Laporte money, you know, or like the uh, the Linus Tech Tips money, and we'll just like. We'll just throw our own events, and we'll fly everybody in.
1: It'll be huge. It'll be awesome. Wasn't that uh, 2019 when we launched this show? Wasn't that like the heyday we of, did, yeah. of JB? It was, yeah. Well, <laughs> somebody else was paying the bills back then, Alex. <laughs> That's the dream, baby.
0: <laughs> one day, Alex. One day. Um, actually, I, th- I have a feeling there'll something will come up this year that we can all get together, but it's just going to be a little bit.
1: There was talking in the uh Discord today about a, a second Raleigh meetup. Oh, yeah, you know, we had one in the spring last year. Uh, maybe we'll have one in some point in the spring this year. I don't know if it'll be quite as big of a deal as last time, but if you're interested, let me know somehow. Send me a, yeah. a PM or a, a tweet or a toot or whatever on the Mastodon or or whatever. You do Mastodon, yeah, I didn't know that. Okay, at ironic badger at tech hub social or something, I think. Sure,
0: sure. Yeah, I feel like that that Raleigh meetup we did was like one of our top five meetups.
1: It was a solid meetup. It was really good. Yeah,
0: it was great. Do that again. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: and then we did the London one too. There's a lot of you. There's a lot of you out there, particularly on the East Coast. Um, lots of folks uh, looking for jobs at the minute. We've got a JB Jobs room. Yes, in fact, I I tried to make a really handy
0: URL um, to make it easy to find. I think it's like something like bit.ly slash Jupiter Jobs, but we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, if you have a position or you're looking for a position, that's a room where we're trying to put everybody together uh, because there's a lot of people hiring and there's a lot of people looking all at the same time. It's kind of a wild world out there right now. So we're doing our little part to bring everybody together in our matrix room. Link in the show notes at self-hosted.show slash 91, if you can believe it. And we do have a few boosts that came into the show. We've been doing this for the last few episodes, the top four. But thank you, everybody who does send a boost. And I want to encourage everybody to keep on supporting the show. And Sam Squanch, how about this, Alex? Like, this hit me right in the feels. I had an outage on the node because we had a big storm here in the Pacific Northwest. And the node went down. That's a downside to self-hosting. Sam Squanch boosted the show. It failed because power was out. He came back with 32,000 sats to make up for the missed boost during the outage. I want to give him a shout out for that. And also the fact that uh, I need to come up. I have to just admit it. I got to come up with some sort of UPS solution for all the rigs here. I, it's just got to happen, you know. I oh, I owned the studio for a decade and never once in that decade lost power. And then in the last three to four years, every time we have a storm, I lose power. Yeah, it can
1: be brutal on the electronics. When I when I first moved to this country, which is damn, it'd be five years in September. How is that possible? I know, man. I know. Anyway, um, I was astounded by how often americans seem to lose power because of all the overhead power lines and stuff and you yep. it's just not really a thing i worried about in england i had one ups for my server in england but over here i've got one at this computer i've got one on my 3d printer i've got one on my tv i've got like six in the house because i just don't trust that the electricity anytime the wind blows isn't going to flicker for a little bit i don't know if that's a voltage thing or what but it's a weird thing too because um so you know I have I have home assistant
0: and I have a smart network here in the studio and then I have one in Jupe's obviously which is even more sophisticated but Jupe's never loses power ever right cuz you got a lithium ion battery bank yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. So she. So I don't have this problem where here in the studio, sometimes after it's lost power, like I got to go around and reset stuff and like connect stuff to the Wi-Fi again. It's a total mess. It's a. It's awful. I want to put the whole studio on a battery, but of course it's a. It's a duplex. Uh, Linux Teamster comes in with five thousand sets. Have you guys tried Libro or Libro L I B R O dot FM? It's very similar to Audible. It has a monthly membership around the same price as Audible, but you're buying from independent bookstores of your choice. And best of all, you can download the audiobooks from the website in DRM-free MP3s easily with no hassle. Great show as always. Love you all. Well, thanks, Teamster. Love you. So I took a little look before the show at libro.fm. It's kind of compelling. I mean, I don't want monthly. What I would love is
1: just to be able to buy these one-off and then download them. And I would love for the pricing to be a little more reasonable, but it doesn't seem like... Well, that's what we do, isn't it? With inaudible and uh, what's the one you use? Open Open Audible? Oh, open Audible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing anyway with Audible, isn't it? Really? Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just at a price I can swallow.
1: But the nice thing about Libro, like you say, is the fact that it's independent bookshops. It seems to yeah. be buying directly from people a bit closer to the publishers than... Uh, buying Jeff Bezos another set of another place setting on his next yacht, you know. Mm-hmm. I like that Audible. You know, the consolidation of of Audible's power in the market can't be a good thing for anybody.
0: Yeah, I would feel better if Audible was not owned by Amazon. That is true. Jane Bean comes in with forty ninety six sets. Bravo, Alex, for going further down the unify rabbit hole. I love my gear. Regarding things not coming back up due to DHCP not being available, I strongly suggest making infrastructure that your DHCP and DNS depends on use true static IPs. I'm all for MAC address reservations, but you have to engineer out the chicken and the egg problems. Set a minimal number of static IPs and define a boot order so core services come up first.
1: I did have some feedback as well this week that uh, the CoroSync services should be on their own dedicated network so that all of their broadcasts don't get lost in the noise on the rest of the network um so that's something else to consider too but the nice thing about proxmox actually is that i i mean unless you actually go and tell it to use dhcp i think you pretty much have to configure a static ip right when you install it so yeah the issue comes when you start trying to change subnets or change dns servers and then you forget to update 15 different boxes it's almost like it's almost like i should write some automation that connects to these boxes and configures the IPs automatically with automation and, and updates changes for me on the fly. And then like you would just update some sort of like book
0: that tells the system the order of play.
1: Yeah. Does does anything like that exist? Have you- I don't think so. No. Don't don't
0: no. No. Uh,
1: audience, yeah. take our idea and run with it, please. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, thank you everybody for boosting in. If you'd like to boost in, you can go grab a new podcast app and upgrade to a podcasting tutorial compliant app at newpodcastapps.com. Or don't switch your damn podcast app. I don't care. Go get Albi. Get albie.com, top it off, and then go to the podcast index, find Self Hosted, and send us in your message. We appreciate the support. Or, of course, you can always become an SRE. Become one of our site reliability engineers at selfhosted.show slash SRE. And, of course, you get an ad-free version of the show. And, along with the ad-free feed, it includes the post show. A little bit extra show every single episode for our members.
1: I think I might try and pull you into the obsidian vortex that I've been in of documentation this week in, in the post show. Oh, good.
0: Yeah, let's totally talk about that. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, you know what? I think we still have a few more robes. I don't know. By the time this comes out, it's going to be close. But the Coder robe is back. We also have the Coder tumbler and a sticker. Plus, we have some cool journal stickers there and a self-hosted sticker. Journal stickers? Journal books. I don't know. I think their self-hosted stickers are the best, personally. I'm not biased at all. I agree. Screw those guys at Coda Radio and their 500 episodes. <laughs> Get a self-hosted sticker at jupitergarage.com. Ha! Yeah, I mean, you can't trust a Floridian, let's be honest. I agree. You know what? Anybody that lives along the along with the alligators, that's something weird there. That's
1: weird. That's weird. <laughs> hey, we'll have a horse named you next. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you can see that.
1: Eating gator and riding horses. Well, Alex,
0: where should people find you? Because I don't know if we're doing the Twitter plugs anymore. You want to mention the Mastodon, maybe the
1: Discord? What do you think? Yeah, uh, I mean blog.ktz.me and there's, an, a, there's a contact me page on there if you want to hire me for anything or find me on the Mastodon. It's at badger at techhubsocial, uh, techhub.social. That's my uh, handle on there. There you go.
0: I'll plug the Matrix. You can find me on the Matrix, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash matrix. We got all kinds of rooms over there. Come say hi.
1: Yes, we do. Uh, and as always, thanks for listening, everybody. That was Show slash 91.